This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and you know this is an independent England supporters podcast that looks at our national football team, England. So those Nations League games scheduled for September away to Iceland and Denmark still tantalising us. Although, what with the very recent government guidance, in my own opinion, the chances of us being able to go anywhere near them are getting slimmer by the day. And now even with the sporting events due to be used as test pilots cancelled, be it cricket, snooker, horse racing, even that Wales friendly in October, I can't see us being granted access, even in a limited capacity. Of course, if it is deemed safe, then I am happy to be proved wrong. But the longer this goes on for, doesn't inspire me with confidence. But we still all need to remain vigilant at all times. Coming up, we'll be speaking with another England fan who tells us about his first away game, which could be described as a baptism of fire. And I hope you enjoyed the last one where we spoke with Alfie Wilson about his first game back in 2012 at the European Championships in Ukraine. As always, if you want to get involved, please drop me a note. I'll give it all out at the end of this episode. And what else has been going on? Obviously, the domestic season has concluded, as it traditionally should, with the FA Cup final. Congratulations if your team won something, gained promotion or managed to stay up, and commiserations if you've experienced relegation. And I feel for you if you're a Wigan or Sheffield Wednesday fan, or a Newcastle United fan, talk about having a carrot dangled in front of you. Owners of football clubs, eh? And let's not forget Berry. Whilst we think we've had a bad season, those supporters have had nothing all season. And then we have this mini European Champions League, Europa League tournament thingy. Uh, If I'm honest, I've not given it too much attention, but I'm guessing as long as UEFA get their money's worth, and I'm sure they'll be happy. But on the plus side, we're only about four to six weeks away until it all starts again. If it all goes to plan. Got a little sidetrack there, uh, as this is the Three Lions podcast, what's been going on England-wise? Well, you may have seen this one recently, Leighton Baines, retired from football at the age of 35, former Everton and Wigan left-back, played 30 times for England, scoring just the once in a World Cup qualifier away against Moldova in 2012, albeit with a wicked deflection. Baines takes it, it's oh. deflected! And in! Baines came through the system representing the under-21s and became England's player number 1,162. And he was in Roy Hodgson's squads for both Euro 2012 and the Brazil World Cup of 2014. And I guess with regards to England, he was fortunate that he was in form just as Ashley Cole was injured and then subsequently retired. I always thought he was a fairly stable player, reliable. He was often on the score sheet for Everton, wasn't he? 
liked a penalty or a free kick. And then news out of the Lionesses camp recently was that they have decided not to participate in the next She Believes Cup, which is held annually in America. And they've been ever-present since it began back in 2016 and, of course, won it in 2019. But the FA gave the reasons based on existing uncertainties around the future trend of the COVID-19 pandemic, technical factors and travel logistics during a tight international window were also considered when making this decision. And the Lionesses, I believe, were the last England national team to play a game before the whole lockdown began, participating in that last She Believes Cup, losing to Spain on the 11th of March. In fact... Uh, One of the podcast episodes I put out at the time, I remember saying that there was a lot of travelling involved for a tournament that is played over the best part of seven, eight days. And I think withdrawing from the She Believes is no bad thing, to be honest, when there are various European tournaments that the women can participate in, be it the Algarve Cup, the Cyprus Cup, or there is also the Turkish Women's Cup. And they're all held... Uh, generally at similar times in late February or early March. And at the moment too, whilst we know the senior men have fixtures in the pipeline, nothing has been announced for the Lionesses. And we're also still none the wiser as to who will succeed Phil Neville as the next Lionesses manager. Although I did see a recent article on the BBC where apparently the FA had received 142 applications to be the next manager, which I find quite astonishing. Be interested in how many serious contenders they whittle that one down to going forwards. And one final thing on the Lionesses. Uh, podcast regular Dom Smith has written a piece on Farrell Williams, England's most capped player. It's a real insight into what formed her as a player. You can head to englandfootball.org to uh, have a read of it there. Time to go back in time and speak with an England fan about their first England away game and the memories and the experiences they had. We're talking with Daniel Mousson this time and we're going back 22 years for this one. I'd like to welcome to the Three Lions podcast. We're back. We're doing another one of our Your First Away Game series, which seems to be very popular at the moment. I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Daniel Mousson. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Russell. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you. Yourself? Yeah, very well. Yeah, enjoying the, enjoying a bit of rare sunshine, uh, which we've not had for a few days. But yeah, uh, yeah make, make the most of it. <laughs> exactly. Now, as I say, we are we're talking your first England away game. I remember this one very well. I didn't go, but I remember where I was, and I'll uh, I'll, I'll mention that in a moment. But it was game number seven hundred and forty-seven for England. Go on, do you want to tell us what your first England away game was? Yeah, my first England away game was against Tunisia at the World Cup nineteen ninety-eight, uh, which was the opening. Game for England at the at the tournament. Taking a step back from that, my, my personal sort of England experience, so to speak, is that I the first World Cup I remember was probably 
82 to an extent. I certainly remember 86 and 90. Obviously, 94 was missed. Euro 96 sort of fueled my fire when it came to England. And I didn't actually get to any games at Euro 96. But that really sort of gave me a passion to think, God, how good does that look? It was only just down the road from where I where I lived at the time. But I, I never, I nearly went to the Spain game, I think it was. But that didn't happen for for various reasons. And um, yeah, my, my first game was the Tunisia game in Marseille, uh, World Cup 1998. So yeah, it was a... Uh, it was an experience um, <laughs> which, I'll, which I'll, no one ever forgets their first club game or their first England game. But yeah, from a uh, support point of view, it, it was an eye opener, shall we say? It was uh, yeah, things were things were a little bit different um, to how they are nowadays. And uh, yeah, it was a uh, it, it was a good experience looking back at the time. There was moments of it that were a little bit um, I'm not afraid to say scary. I was. What was I in 1998? I was sort of 21. Um, I, I'd done a little bit of travelling through my late teens with family on holidays and stuff, but I'd never experienced anything anything like this. So yeah, so from a looking at the looking ahead to the game, we I joined the supporters club. I think it would have been sort of after Euro '96. I forget how the membership scheme rolled then. Obviously, it's two years now. I think it might have been something similar. But anyway, I, I joined as a member and. Um, I've dug out my um, application form for tickets, which in those days was in paper format. Oh, right. Uh, so you, you literally had a, a letter that came through the post. And on the back of the letter, it was sort of a newsletter type scenario. And on the back was a, a pink form, I think it was. Uh, and on that form, you just basically tick the games that you want. You sent it off in the post and then you, you found out by getting a, a return letter so I applied for the, the three group games, looking back, and thought, hopefully I'll get tickets for one, maybe two of those. As it turned out, I think I actually got um, the ticket via a second ballot, which obviously we're familiar with nowadays. Mm. Uh, and I got a Cat 1 ticket for the game in Marseille, um, and it cost me £39 um, plus £4 uh, in postage. So, yeah, that was the, the, the start of the, the, the trip experience. And, and once we... I went with a good friend of mine, Matthew, who I went to school with. Once we got confirmation that we had tickets, we then went about looking at the, the travel options and, uh, and and sort of took it from uh, took it from there. Excellent. I mean, four pound for postage. That seems like they stitched you up there. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think Glenn Hoddle might, must have uh, driven around in his Rolls Royce and delivered it. In, in, in those. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, four pound. That was expensive. Looking back, yeah, it's just, it's one of those things where sort of. Money sort of piled into into insignificance, and sort of looking back, thirty nine pounds in those days was quite a lot of money. So I think yeah. I was probably watching club football and sort of looking back, paying sort of less than certainly less than a tenner to, to to watch football probably in those days. So yeah, it was quite expensive, but uh, but yeah, it was it was it was going to be my first England game. It was at a World Cup. I was really like, this is going to be this is going to be great. So we then went on to. Look at our travel options. Um, I think in those days we we didn't consider flying because it was just expensive, and we, we were both in our sort of early twenties and, and sort of didn't have the what was probably several hundred pounds to to get down to Marseille. So we uh, the Euro Tunnel was uh, quite a, a new thing in in those days. So we we looked at that option, and that was the one we decided to go with. Um, right. The game was on a Monday. You probably you'll probably come on to this in a second, but you obviously recall the game was on a Monday um, afternoon. Uh, it was, a, I think, a, 
1.30 kickoff in in uh, in England and a 2.30 kickoff in France. So That's we right. actually, uh, on the Monday, like I say, we left Hitchin at 4.30 a.m. on the Saturday morning and made our way down to, to Waterloo without the bucket of Vindaloo. Um, <laughs> um, and um, yeah, so we got on the we got on the six. We've got my ticket here. We got on the six fifty three a.m. from Waterloo. We changed in Lille, and we arrived in Marseille around about five o'clock uh, on the Saturday evening. Um, so we decided to to get there a couple of days before to take in the experience. And obviously, we'd seen the pictures and read up a bit about Marseille. Looked a quite nice, uh, quite a nice city. Obviously. Chris Waddle had been there, so it was a, a club that was uh, sort of familiar to us and thought, yeah, it'd be, be good to spend a couple of days, see the city, the port looks great. And uh, yeah, so we, we got there on a Saturday evening and um, decided to uh, have a, a gentle uh, Saturday evening. I, I can't recall exactly what we did, but I think it probably involved having something to eat and maybe a drink or two and then sort of getting to bed quite early, obviously, after having a full day's travelling and sort of we were looking forward to the Sunday and sort of start to build up to the, the game on the Monday. Yeah, because I, I imagine you felt like I did. It was the first World Cup game um, for England and, and England supporters in eight years. I mean, Italia 90 was obviously eight years previous and, and this World Cup had come round and I remember feeling, wow, I'm, I'm ready for this. I was at an age where I could get to the pub. Um, yeah. And, and I, I still to this day remember what pub I drank in. I remember the friends I was with and yeah. bizarrely, I remember as well what my friends were doing after the game. Um, <laughs> these little strange memories that come yeah. with, with this game. But it was it was the World Cup and the World Cup, England were back in it. Um, but yeah, I remember where I was. So you were there for, you got there on that Saturday and, and you yeah. were up and ready to go on the Sunday. Did, yeah. you re- did you expect what was coming your way? No, not, not at all. Um, I'd seen the pictures. It looked like a... A nice port city with lots of bars and restaurants, uh, etc. And what we experienced was something totally, totally different. Obviously, so that the Sunday started. I think we um, the hotel we stayed in wasn't great. It was very cheap, and I don't think there was any breakfast. I think we probably went out, grabbed something to eat, and sort of made our way down to the port. Um, we were staying by the station. And basically, we we sort of meandered down to the port area. And after breakfast, we arrived in the port, uh, I'm guessing probably some point around about midday. These were the the days when uh, Melinda Messenger was um, in the news and Tango, the the drink was. Oh, yes. Um, So so basically what what we encountered in this beautiful port city was an open top double decker bus with Melinda Messenger on top throwing out hats and scarves and it was a, a real party carnival atmosphere we were having a few few beers in this port and it was uh, yeah it was like this is great this is really sun was beating down so this is brilliant then it took a turn for the worst my, my my personal memory of what happened was that an england fan took a tunisian flag which was basically um attached to the back of a car uh, which obviously caused some aggravation with the occupants of the car. And there was obviously Tunisians uh, in the port as well, which until then, it was all very good. Uh, and uh, there was no hoss. It was it was fine. There was no no issues whatsoever. But that sort of triggered a, a sequence of events. That stu- and what happened after that is the, the English fan basically set fire to the Tunisian flag 
and, and it just sort of escalated from there. I've obviously done a lot of England aways in the last sort of 20, 25 years, whatever it is, but I didn't have the wits about me that I've got now when it comes to watching England abroad. And you, as you probably, you, you could self know, you tend to get a feeling for when something's going to happen like this. Mm. You tend to basically disappear and you go around the corner, up the street, et cetera, et cetera. But we sort of thought, oh, no, that's, that's not very good. And sort of, but we didn't really realise. But anyway, out of nowhere, loads of riot police appeared. I don't think we'd seen a policeman all, all, all morning. All of a sudden, loads of riot police appeared. And it just escalated from there. Bottles start being thrown, et cetera, et cetera. Just like, oh, this isn't good. So we, we thought um, we'll find somewhere where we could sort of get away from it. It was sort of lunchtime So we ended up in a McDonald's thinking, oh, it'd be all right in here. There was families, there was kids, et cetera. Yeah. So we're sitting in this McDonald's in the port. Then literally, we hadn't even ordered any food. And before we knew it, a policeman came in there and threw tear gas and basically cleared the restaurant. Inside McDonald's? Yeah, no word of a lie. He came mm. in, I, I vividly remember it, standing in the queue, the doors sort of crashed open. I looked over my left shoulder, turned around, and a policeman came in there and a tear, uh, tear gas canister went off. Oh, um, the police don't and, help themselves sometimes, no, do they? It, it was like kids, families, etc. It was it was an absolute disgrace. So, so we soon vacated there, and that's the only experience we've ever had of tasting tear gas, and it, it, it wasn't great. Tears, watering eyes, coughing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, we thought we're going to have to we're going to have to move a lot further. <laughs> so we ended up walking probably only two or three hundred yards down a back street. And we found this bar. This bar had a few England fans in. So we thought, yeah, let, let's go in here. It's it's a bit off the beaten track. It should be okay. So we ended up going into this bar. Then within a few minutes, the the, the bar owner said to us, he said, obviously in in broken. English. Um, he said to us, look, you can stay in this bar, you can be my friends, um, but we have to shut. And we sort of, what, what do you mean shut? He goes, well, I will put the shutters down at the front of the bar so it looks as though it is closed, but you have to stay in here and we cannot open until everything is okay. Being 21 years of age, you're thinking, my word, it's, it's just basically asked us to stay for a lock-in. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. 20 or 30 England fans in this bar. So we um, we basically stayed in this bar from sort of mid-afternoon through till probably sort of, I'm guessing, 9, 10 o'clock in the evening. Wow. Um, and it was, yeah, it was quite a surreal experience. So we, so that was sort of the afternoon and the evening. Then we'd obviously had a, a, a ridiculous amount to drink, but we still had our, we were still sort of, Okay, so we made it up. We thought, let's go back to the hotel. This is this is Sunday. It's match day tomorrow. We want to wake up with a relatively clear head. Um, it was a, obviously the the two thirty kickoff. So I thought, yeah, it's getting around ten o'clock ish. So we'll make our way back to the hotel. So we made our way back to the port. Then tried to navigate our way back to our hotel. We didn't have a clue where our hotel was apart from it was near the station. So we started walking up this street which sort of led up a hill. And we recall the station sort of being at the top of the hill. Then the, the streets were just littered with little gangs of basically uh, sort of North Africans, Algerians, Tunisians, whatever, just roaming around. And there was various reports of things going on and English fans are coming up to us saying, oh, don't go up there. There's, there's lads with knives and oh, someone's been stabbed down there. But anyway, so these English fans said, honestly, guys, don't go up there. There's a lot going on. You're better off coming into a hotel. 
So we ended up going into this hotel, which you weren't staying at, and probably stayed in there for another two or three hours. <laughs> um, by this time, obviously, we were getting sort of midnight, one o'clock. So I don't recall exactly, but we obviously made our way back to a hotel. That basically finished uh, Sunday, and uh, Monday was match day. Looking back, the thing that sort of startled me a bit was obviously my parents, family, girlfriend at the time were obviously seeing the news and obviously we didn't know what was being reported in going back 20 odd years but obviously it was quite big obviously you're in back in England so you would have seen sort of the headlines the news and what yeah. have you and it was it was big news and, and we hadn't I hadn't reported back and sort of said anything to family or friends or didn't think to phone and just thought oh yeah it's I guess we probably thought it was the norm this is what always happens because England hadn't sort of like you say been in a World Cup since 1990 which was sort of the the back end, I guess, of the, the sort of the, the real hooligan era. Mm. Um, we're thinking, oh, maybe this is just normal. So yeah, I was had mixed emotions. Of that that Sunday, part of it I really enjoyed up until sort of lunchtime ish, and it was a bit of a novelty. But then, as it as the day went on, I'm thinking, oh, I don't really like this. This isn't this isn't me. I'm not. Mm. <laughs> I'm a football fan who loves watching football and enjoys the banter with obviously opposition fans and countries and what have you. But it was really. Um, yeah, it was sort of looking back, you sort of think, my word, that was, that was, uh, yeah, a bit of a shock. <laughs> were, were they like, did you encounter any Tunisians? Were they, were they friendly? The, the, the only real recollection I've got of, of the Tunisians was on, on that Sunday before the trouble started, that, like, like you find at World Cups, there was, there was lots of supporters of um, Tunisia around. They had their flags draped around their shoulders and, and they were, having their sort of sing songs and stuff. There was no 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 sort of issues in terms of uh, confrontation between the two sets of supporters. And I think looking back, what was reported and what people sort of say was that it wasn't really the Tunisians. It, it was more so sort of the, the people um, that had come into Marseille from sort of North Africa yeah. looking, looking for trouble. There was pickpocketing going on and all sorts. And it was, uh, yeah, so it, it didn't reflect well on either sets of supporters. But I think looking back, it, it was more so sort of local stroke North Africans that had uh, sort of instigated a lot of the trouble then, as we all know, the, the press in the UK had a field day, so England should be kicked out of the World Cup and this is a disgrace and the Prime Minister should be uh, clamping down on this, they shouldn't let anyone leave the country to watch this tournament, etc, etc. So yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> so you got yourself a, a night's sleep eventually and... Yeah. and- the trouble didn't finish there. It carried on to match day, didn't it? Or from what yeah. I read, and on the beach was it? Yeah. So, so basically, on, on the match day, the, the game obviously was in mid afternoon. So we, from memory, we we sort of made our way up to the stadium quite early because obviously we we hadn't been there before and we, we didn't want to sort of miss kickoff or anything. So we we got there quite early. I'm guessing sort of an hour or two before kickoff. Made our way to the stadium. So that was obviously what we did as we had tickets. Looking back and what was reported and what we heard the following uh, that evening was that the, the French had thought it's, it'd be a great idea to set up a massive screen on the beach where everyone who hasn't got a ticket can watch the game. Which, which is we, what would happen nowadays, really, wouldn't it, yeah, with the, which, the fan zones? Yeah, which, which makes perfect sense. But I think in those days, it was literally, right, we'll set a screen up, right, there it is, and then anyone can watch it. There's no control in terms of like accessing it wasn't a fan zone. Well, it was a fan zone, but it wasn't because obviously we've we've been to fan zones in obviously Germany, Russia, etc. But there was 
yeah, it was just basically sounds sounds as though it was sort of a full on riot. There's I've still got the newspaper cuttings of people throwing bottles and people with bloodied faces and all sorts going on. So yeah, it really it really sort of that trouble lasted a good a good couple of days. It, looking back, it's, it's it's a bit embarrassing because that that clearly there's, there's photos of England fans throwing bottles and chairs and all sorts. And it's yeah, it never looks good, and it didn't didn't look good at all then. Yeah, well, from what I can gather, there was no no trouble inside the stadium, was there? So it, it all went off quite well in in the ground. Yeah, it was the, the ground. The, the what was it the Stad Velodrome? The, the the ground was it's been developed since um, I didn't go back in. 2016 as you can probably appreciate I'd, I'd seen enough of Marseille and watched a game of football at that stadium so I didn't need to go back so I, mi- I missed that deliberately but the, the, the ground was um, a massive open bowl like really it was a really really hot day but it, in the ground itself there was no there was no trouble there was a, a small uh, sort of not, wasn't that small actually it was a fair few Tunisians in there and obviously a lot of English uh, had gone over and sort of pretty much taken over the the majority of the the ground, apart from sort of the the, the Tunisian end uh, behind one of the goals, but yeah, it was the ground was fine. It was the atmosphere was great. Fans were sort of mixing fairly fairly well throughout the stadium. So yeah, the, inside the ground, it, it was fine, and it was sort of the, the experience I was I was hoping I was going to have, which which we did have. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was um, it was yeah the the game the game itself was I, I guess looking back, it's your perfect. It's your perfect opener to a World Cup from a, a country point of view. You, you you win, you keep a clean sheet. Uh, Shearer scored. Um, I think it was Scholes who got the other goal. That's uh, right, right towards the end. Yeah, and I think Owen might have come on towards the end. Yes, so you, he did. He came on as a substitute for Teddy Sheringham of right. about five minutes to go. Yeah. So you sort of it sort of ticked all the boxes. Sort of you blooded your your new youngster, and it was just all. Yeah, this, this this is good, and I thought, yeah, it was uh, it, it was yeah, it's perfect in terms of the game, the result, and everything. So that was really, really, really good. Then, then looking ahead, you, you obviously hope that we would uh, we would progress, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But yeah, the, yeah, sort of looking back after the looking back at the game itself, it was yeah, it was ideal. It was really I good. um I, I did go to to Marseille in 2016, and right, I. Fortunately, I missed all the all the trouble then. Yeah. Um, and I walked into that ground, the velodrome, sort of remembering back to '98, remembering that it was a big open bowl um, yeah. and the sun was beating down. I mean, the game against Russia in in 2016 in the Euros was an evening game. Yeah. But it was so it's got a a large roof all around. But I found it was it was one of the best grounds I've been into for for atmosphere and and I stood behind the goal uh, on that game. Where whereabouts were you in the ground? So uh, we, we were we had cap one tickets. So we, we were along the side mm. um sort of opposite the tunnel side. So the, the tunnel side where the opposite where the changing rooms are, etc. Um is at that stage was the only only of the four sides that had a roof. I so see. Opposite there, and yeah, I do recall actually. Viv Anderson was a few seats in front of us, which I uh, was like, "Wow, there's Viv Anderson." That was a uh, yeah. I was like, "God, that's amazing, it's Viv Anderson." But yeah, it was um, yeah. The, the seats were great, but the the atmosphere sort of was very impressive because the like I say, there was there was no roof on three sides of the ground, so to create an atmosphere in a stadium without 
a roof on the majority of it was, was impressive. But I do recall the atmosphere was really, really good. Um, yeah. And obviously, you, you experienced it in 2016. I, I guess you had a, a similar, or a, probably a, a better atmosphere than we had in um, 98. Well, it was up until the uh, until the full time <laughs> <laughs> result. But that's uh, that's yeah, half, half the course you expect yeah, that. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I mean, uh, you mentioned there it was Shearer and and Skulls that scored. But do you remember that Sheringham had a uh, had an effort that was, I think he was about 25 yards back where he just turned, hit the volley and uh, and hit the bar. Right. No, I don't, I don't recall that. Great effort, that one. And and I think Shearer, Shearer scored in the, the first half with a, I think it was probably a Shearer header. Um, and then Skulls got his goal towards the towards the end of the game. And, and he was he'd called in um, ahead of Gaza, I think, wasn't he, when, when Hoddle dismissed Gaza back home yeah. and brought in Skulls. Yeah, that was yeah, sort of because of obviously the the impact that Gaza had on Euro '96. It was sort of you you would never have guessed that he wouldn't even make the squad in '98. But the the obviously the the issue with with Gaza wasn't his footballing ability. It was obviously the, the other things in his life that obviously caused him, which caused his downfall, so to speak. But yeah, Skulls was um, yeah. I, I'm looking at um, a, a newspaper cutting and, and Paul Skulls, man of the match, nine out of ten. Might have had a hat trick. His goal was worth waiting for. Could prove to be the star of the finals. Ooh. So yeah, that was uh, that obviously didn't materialise. But <laughs> <laughs> so from from there, Marseille and, and the Tunisia game. Did you did you go and see any more games? Did you or just come straight back home trouble free? Yeah, we, we um, the Monday the Monday evening was I don't recall doing a lot at all to be totally honest um but yeah we came back we got the train back on the Tuesday I didn't have any plans to to go back out and I, I, I recall when we exited the competition I was I was away on away on holiday um at the time so yeah I didn't obviously yeah in answer to that question that was that was the end of my World Cup 1998 yeah. it's uh yeah it was uh, we got was it, it was Argentina that year, wasn't it? That That's they, right. Yeah, unfortunately. So, yeah, yeah I, I, rec- I recall that quite vividly as well. So I was in a bar in Fuerteventura, sitting next to a German man for the whole of the game, and he kept saying to me, "You will win. You will win." I was like, "No, nah, we won't. No, we won't." Got to penalties, and he said, "I promise you, you will win penalties. You, you won at Euro '96 penalties versus Spain. You are now good at penalties." I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs> So I was watching the penalties. He was literally sitting next to me. I turned around. I can't remember who, who missed. Was it Ince or Batty missed the last one? But anyway, I turned around after we'd been knocked out. He'd gone. <laughs> never, to, never to be seen again. I thought he might have stayed to shake my hand and said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But yeah, it was uh, yeah, quite, quite a short-lived World Cup, I guess, that. Just yeah. three group games and the it a round of 16 defeats to the uh, the Argies. But uh, yeah. But yeah, your England journey, what what a start, and has continued from there. Yeah, I've, I've sort of yeah, I'm, I'm I'm one of these people that sort of go. It's been, a, I guess, you could probably call it a bit stop start because I, I I didn't do 2002. Well, I guess I say stop stop start. I've, I've always until quite recently, I've always gone on the basis of going to the later stages. Yeah. So I think Japan and South Korea, I probably applied for sort of quarter semi final. Then likewise. 2006, obviously been in Germany, I went to all of those games. 2010, again, I applied for later stages, didn't materialise. 14, I, I did the um, Sao Paulo game where we played Uruguay. And then 
2018, I, I did, I think, five of the, what did we play? Was it six or seven in Russia? But yeah, I did yeah. five of those. Oh, wow. I, I missed the first, I missed the first one and didn't do the um, the, the uh, third and fourth playoff, but I did the other five, I think it was. So yeah, so I've, I've sort of had some really, really good experiences. Sort of the most memorable one from my point of view is obviously the, the five one in Munich. Guessing that was my second, oh. second, uh, second away game. So that was a that was a good one as well. But yeah, it's yeah, it's, I, I just really enjoy two two or three trips ideally each year, going to different cities, different countries, etc., and ideally winning and experiencing some good times with some uh, good friends and stuff. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's really yeah, I really do enjoy it. I know exactly how you feel. Great memories there, but, but I mean, and you told us about the the previous World Cups and tournaments you've been to there. But but looking ahead, unfortunately, it's not going to be this year. Um, but but twenty twenty one, the Euros. What what are your thoughts on that? Where do we stand there? Yeah, I, th- I think um, looking look, looking back at eighteen, and sort of I looked at the the team, straight the squad um, the other day, and I think you look at look at it, and apart from Kane and Sterling, in my opinion. No other player you can really put anywhere near world class. Um, so I think off the back of that and how well we did, I think it comes down to the fact that it is really a team game and we had the golden generation um, and it didn't work. So I think Southgate has got it right in terms of it's a team game and, and he plays people on merit. Um, but I think the year delay is going to go in our favour because Kane's now going to be where you'd like to think will be fit. Rashford will be fit. Um, and then you sort of add in what's coming through in terms of Sancho, Foden, uh, Gomez, Trent, um, who's the other one that's got in, uh, Hudson, Adoy, I think it is, yeah. who's recently got injured and coming back. So I, th- I think that the future looks quite quite bright. And I, I think with, with Southgate, we've currently got the, the right man. And um, yeah, hopefully 2021 and 2022 could be a, could be good years for um, England. And, and hopefully when we look back in a year's time or just over a year's time that this this break in football might have done us a favour. Well, yeah, let's hope so. I think you, everyone's on the on the positivity side of things, and I think you're right with regards to the players getting back to fitness. Um, it's just getting that sort of match fitness as well, and and getting England games up and running. Hopefully, we can see those a uh, few of those before the the tournament next year, and and a few more nice little away days. Yeah, here, here. lovely, Daniel. Thank you very much for your time. No worries at all. Thank you, Russell. Thank you to Daniel there. Some great memories from an interesting tournament. And as I said previously, it's always great to hear from you, especially some of those older games. And if you want to share those memories, please do get in touch. And you can do that in the usual way. Email me, threelinespodcast at gmail.com. Or you can do so via Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. Just search Three Lions Podcast. Now, I mentioned Dom Smith at the beginning of the show and his website, englandfootball.org. And I thought it's only fair to take a quick look around the England blogging scene. There's a couple of new ones that have crept in recently. I thought I'd take a quick look at what's been said recently. And then you can go and have a perusal yourself at your own leisure. 
And of course, there is both England Football Online and EnglandStats.com, of which I have to say I regularly use both when doing my research. Glenn and Chris at England Football Online have got lots of additional info other than the match results. You can take a look at all the England shirts worn over the years. Plus, they've got the under-19s, under-20s and under-21 info too. Plus, all the Lionesses results that I, uh, I helped them with. And they can all be found there. Davey at England Stats, again, has all the results. And his latest update has competition tables on all World Cup and Euro qualifying tournaments. Plus some minor ones too. Jonathan Theerby at footballengland.blog. It doesn't look like it's been updated for a while, uh, but took a look at the possibles for Gareth's European Championship squad in his last post. Matt Asprey, we've spoken to him before. He's over at mattasprysport.wordpress.com. And his latest piece looks at Gareth Southgate and how Euro 2021 may pan out. But also, if you like your cricket and boxing, there's also some great write-ups on that too. Now, a couple of new blogs that I've come across include 3lions.net, as written by Aidan Smith, who's written a couple of recent posts about Phil Neville. There's been one about ITV's Clive Tildesley, and most recently an article about players who must move to be named in England's Euro squad. It's an interesting, thought-provoking read. Although one name he doesn't mention is Dortmund's Jaden Sancho, whom, if you believe what you read, and by the time this podcast is released, uh, he is on the verge of joining Manchester United. You may well have made it by now. Uh, in excess of 100 million. But it has to be said, he doesn't really need to move to assure himself of a place in next year's squad. And finally... If blogging on YouTube is your thing, then take a look at It's Coming Home TV, the brainchild of England fan Sam Goldsworthy, who's joined by three fellow England fans, Callum, Michael and Matt, to discuss all things England. And most recently, talking about the position of goalkeeper at next year's Euros. I'll try and put a link to all of them uh, on the Twitter or Facebook And I guess at some stage, I'll try and catch up with all of them, speak to them on the podcast, see how they're all doing. Right, I think that's me done. Thanks as always for listening. Always appreciate it. Thanks for the comments you make. Please keep them coming. And if you happen to be passing the likes of iTunes, please feel free to leave a review. So until the next time, take care, stay safe, look after yourself, stay subscribed too, and wear that mask. Cheers. (laughs) 